on today's episode of Mile Higher. She's among the world's most infamous young female killers. Heather Mack, she's the woman who killed her mother in Indonesia. In October of 1995, she was 43, Sheila gave birth to their daughter, Lois Heather Mack. The family and friends say that Heather was the violent one, not Sheila. According to the Oak Park Police, between January 2004 and June 2013, they made 86 visits to the Mac home. I don't regret killing my mother. And as evil as that may sound, that's my reality. The only thing Tommy is not innocent of is hiding the body. Mm-hmm. A bed sheet wrapped around a mm-hmm. suitcase with duct tape, and there's clearly blood on it. When Heather would act abusively towards Sheila, she would say, well, dad does it to you, so I can too. It's wild to me that they think they're the, these like mastermind mm-hmm. criminals, and yet they're doing all this over text. <laughs> Heather ran away again tonight. She will not answer the phone. She will not answer emails. And she told me that she would kill me and then kill herself. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode not allowed to say anymore because Josh says no more. Janelle says it's cringe. Damn. I like it. So now you're going to just call us out. Yeah. This was a off I like seeing the number. It gives me validation that we've been going for so long. Okay. Is there like a number we're going to get to and you're going to be like, all right, guys, that's it. I was waiting for a thousand. Do you know how long that would take? That's like years from now. What, time well, what, what are we on? We're on 260. Yeah. Well, I thought we weren't allowed to say it. Well, you know what? It's too cringe. 1, 000, what is 1,000 minus 260? We would have 740 weeks to go. That's if we podcasted consistently every week. For the next. Hey, I'm going to be here. Are you going to be here? Yeah. Are you going to be here? Josh is not <laughs> we'll, thrilled. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I love this show. I love you guys. Wow. That was Happy cute. to be back. Just us. And Julia's back this week. She hey, is. guys. Hi. How are you doing, Julia? <laughs> I'm doing great. Hey, guys. Hey. Happy to be here. Happy to be back. <laughs> and today, we actually have a case that Julia was familiar with because she grew up in Chicago. And this case didn't take place in Chicago, but they lived there. Um, well, it kind of comes back to Chicago yeah. in the end. We'll be but, talking about it. But it's an absolutely horrific case. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. insane. It's very a mother-daughter relationship that goes very, very wrong. Mm-hmm. And had for a long time. So Heather Mack and the murder of Sheila Von Weiss Mack. So we're going to start out here by telling you a little bit more about Sheila. So Sheila Von Weiss was born in Minneapolis on June 10th, 1952 and moved to Gross Point, Michigan when she was two years old. Later in life, she earned a degree in political science from Simmons College in Boston. From there, she went on to work for Senator Ted Kennedy, and later she went back to school to get her MBA. She worked in account management and marketing, and she even worked alongside Jackie Kennedy. Eventually, Sheila moved to Chicago, and she worked a few more jobs and enrolled in the prestigious University of Chicago's PhD program known as the Committee on Social Thought. The university is in Chicago's historic Hyde Park neighborhood, and that's where Sheila met James Mack. James Mack was actually a legendary jazz musician from Chicago who was a pioneer in his genre during the civil rights movement. James had moved from Tuscaloosa, Alabama to the south side of Chicago when he was five. James was an arranger and producer at multiple record labels, including Brunswick, Chess, Capitol, and Columbia. And he was a shining star 
as well as a composer. There was almost no genre James wasn't comfortable with, and he was a talented multi-instrumentalist. He was a fixture in Hyde Park, a Chicago Southside neighborhood that's a hub for intellectuals and artists. It's one of the most culturally significant neighborhoods in the country, and it's a cultural hub for Chicago's black community. He had teaching positions at multiple Chicago colleges. Students always tried to get a spot learning jazz from James, a true master of his craft. He had a son and four daughters from his two previous marriages. And in Hyde Park, he met Sheila, who would eventually become his third wife. Sheila was 22 years younger than him. The relationship with James and Sheila was puzzling to his friends as they didn't understand why at this stage in his life, he was doing all this. They thought he didn't want to be alone. But once they got married, James's life actually got lonelier. Because according to James's friends, Sheila discouraged him from seeing his adult children and their families. But Sheila was cultured, attractive, a well-connected woman, so they were both people of stature in the community. Their home became sort of an arts center, where the couple entertained musicians frequently. Sheila was a lifelong student, always taking classes, including ones on classic Asian literatures and the Ring Cycle, which is famous for epic German operas. And James was still in composing and teaching the next generation of jazz musicians. In the 90s, when they first got married, Sheila moved into James's house, which was stunning. He used to share this with his previous wife, and it was in a well-to-do neighborhood on Chicago's west side. This neighborhood is home to many of Frank Lloyd Wright's architectural treasures, including his home and studio. In October of 1995, when he was 66 and she was 43, Sheila gave birth to their daughter, Lois Heather Mack, who went by her middle name, Heather. And Heather lived a charmed life, you could say, growing up in Oak Park. She was very close with her father. And her mother wanted Heather to have the best of everything. She took her to all sorts of events like operas, museums, symphonies, you name it. All so that Heather could grow up and appreciate the arts just like her parents. But we do have to mention some really troubling things about Sheila's marriage to James. There are numerous interviews with people close to the family that say James was frequently physically abusive to Sheila. Sheila had told multiple friends that James, quote, did not respect her and would abuse her physically and verbally. And sometimes he abused Sheila in front of their daughter, Heather. When Heather would act abusively towards Sheila, she would say, well, dad does it to you, so I can too. Multiple people recall seeing Sheila with heavy bruising early in her marriage with James. Two people said that in 1995, before they were married, while Sheila was pregnant with Heather, they saw her with severe facial bruising. James had spent the last three years of his life suffering from health issues. He had diabetes, and he'd also been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. He was also in a wheelchair. That's because in 2001, James was actually on a Royal Caribbean cruise when he accidentally cut his foot on some glass in the pool. The ship's doctor stitched up the wound and James was able to walk off the boat the following day. But that wound would become infected and led to sepsis. James almost died from the cut and he developed partial paralysis. Both he and Sheila sued the cruise liner. They said the onboard doctor gave James inadequate care and this led to his paralysis. Sheila then became his caretaker as he was often confined to the bed. So in 2004, James's ex-wife called the police and alleged that Sheila was preventing his son from visiting. She claimed that they would come by the house to see him, and Sheila would turn all the lights off and pretend that no one was home. Sadly, in 2006, James died in Athens, Greece, of a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in his lung. 
They were in Greece about to board a cruise ship when he passed in their hotel room. He was 76 years old at the time. Heather later claimed that Sheila killed him, which we'll get into this a little bit more later. Oddly enough, Sheila and Heather went on the cruise trip anyway. Heather has said that this decision deeply upset her. Heather said, quote, I wanted to go home and mom drank wine by the sea and complained to her friends that my dad had died. Five days before he passed, James had written a will leaving his entire estate to Heather, the sole beneficiary, which Heather was 10 years old at the time of his death. James's estate consisted of a bank account with $1,800 and a Chicago condo worth $150,000, so not a huge amount of money. The Cruz lawsuit was settled in 2011 and a judge approved a $1.5 million settlement payout. $840,000 of that settlement went to James's estate and Sheila netted $340,667 from that after legal fees. In 2012, the judge allowed Sheila to pay the remaining $500,000 to herself from the estate. So Heather would later go on to say that Sheila cheated her out of her inheritance, but she was deluded about the actual amount of money her family had. And the mother-daughter relationship between Sheila and Heather started to have problems really early on. In fact, Sheila had struggled to manage Heather's energy and contrarian personality as soon as the age of six. And according to the Oak Park Police, between January 2004 and June 2013, they made 86 visits to the Mac home. All of these calls were related to domestic issues between Sheila and Heather, and many of these calls were missing persons calls. The rest involved domestic violence, theft, and 911 hangups. And some people have suggested that Heather's problems stem directly from James's death or the will issue. But police calls started two years before he died and many years before the will issue. So needless to say, their relationship was very rocky. It wasn't the best before James passed either, but Heather had been very close with her dad. So after he died, her and Sheila's relationship got a lot worse. Both Heather and Sheila would call the police on each other. Neighbors said that the cops were there all the time. And the two would fight about everything from Heather's boyfriend to her school attendance or lack thereof. In some incidents, Heather bit her mother, hit her, and destroyed things in their house. In one incident, she pushed Sheila, causing her to break her arm. In January of 2010, Sheila and Heather got into an argument over chores. Heather punched Sheila's already broken ankle and the police responded to the home. Also in 2010, Sheila reported to the police that Heather had stolen $1,000 from her. Heather also admitted to the cops that she was mad and she stole her mother's credit card so she could go shopping at Water Tower Place. She would often refuse to let the police take pictures of her wounds because she didn't want Heather to go to jail. She just wanted her to get the help she needed. Reports show that Sheila would decline to show her injuries or press charges because she thought Heather going to jail wouldn't help the situation. In December of 2011, after a fight with her mom, Heather was arrested for domestic battery, aggravated battery, and battery charges. Her mom did not want to press charges, but given Sheila's visible injuries, the police had to file them regardless. Heather was found guilty of battery in order to attend counseling and anger management counseling. She also spent parts of 2012 in juvenile facilities because of the repeated charges. Records show that she completed the court-ordered treatment, and Heather was hospitalized for mental health issues three times that year. Heather has claimed that her mother was an abusive alcoholic and a drug addict who chased her around the house with knives, stabbed her with her nails, and put out cigarettes on her. According to Heather, a lot of their fights started when Sheila was drunk, and Heather would hide her keys so she wouldn't drive. 
And her missing school so often was because she would have to stay up until 5 a.m. making sure her mom didn't fall down the stairs drunk. Heather also said that Sheila would sometimes take her out to shoplift high-end makeup because despite having the money for it, she didn't want to pay the high prices. So according to Heather, she'd take her to the mall and tell Heather to steal it because they wouldn't suspect a kid. Heather said their relationship was very complicated, but it had a lot of good moments. She said she wouldn't call them friends, but they were close. According to Heather, quote, she never wanted to be separated from me, and yet she also hated everything about me. But family and friends say that Heather was the violent one, not Sheila. They point to all the times Sheila had to call the police on her daughter, and they said that during those 86 visits, not once did the police describe Sheila as violent, drunk, or high. The only time alcohol was mentioned in any of the 86 police reports was once. Heather accused her mother of being drunk. Sheila told police she was not drunk, but she admitted she was probably over the legal limit to drive. Friends who'd known Sheila since the 80s and some of Heather's high school friends did say that Sheila could drink to excess sometimes. In June of 2013, Sheila moved her and her daughter into a luxury apartment on Lakeshore Drive overlooking Lake Michigan in Chicago's Gold Coast neighborhood. It was supposed to be a fresh start for the two of them, but things just got worse. In December of 2013, Sheila emailed a friend and told her that Heather hadn't been to school in over a month. And this was because Sheila was so consumed with trying to keep her safe. And the emails continue. One said, Heather was violent tonight, and I am really scared of what she may do next. Another read, Heather was violent again, smashed several items in my home, threw things at me, and left. Heather is in grave danger, and so am I. And Sheila had good reason to be afraid because she was right. Heather was plotting something far more heinous than what she had done in the past, and it involved her new boyfriend, Tommy Schaefer. Heather met 21-year-old Tommy Schaefer, who was three years older than her. They had both attended Oak Park and River Forest High School. Tommy was an aspiring rapper. He went by Tommy EXX. Uh, SoundCloud's still out there, actually. Who was performing at a party she went to. The two had an instant connection, and they hooked up that night. From there, Heather fell hard and fast. It was a classic story of a bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks meets the well-off rebellious girl. The two came from totally different upbringings. Heather had grown up privileged in a wealthy two-parent household, but Tommy was raised by a single mother who often struggled to make ends meet. At some point, she moved to Oak Park with Tommy so that he could attend a better school. Tommy graduated high school in 2011 and enrolled on scholarship at NIU. He left after a year to attend Columbia College where he could better focus on his music. But that still didn't give him enough time for his rap career, so he dropped out. Obviously, rap wasn't enough to pay the bills, and at some points, he was actually homeless. He was handsome and charming, and friends said he was a friendly guy, but he could also be emotionally manipulative, and he told tall tales. A former friend said he would lie about even the most mundane things, but he would also spin big stories, like one where he had a heart condition and could die soon. Heather was attracted to his love for music. With a father as influential in the music world as hers, Heather was a musical girl so she was naturally drawn to the way he was so dedicated to his music. But Sheila did not approve of their relationship at all. She felt like Heather had really fallen in with the wrong crowd, and Tommy was the center of that. So she tried to forbid Heather from seeing him. Of course, that enraged her, and she kept seeing him anyway. And as her mother tried harder and harder to clamp down and separate the two, Heather grew more and more infatuated with Tommy and angrier with Sheila. For Heather and Tommy, 
It became a classic tale of forbidden love. The relationship became sort of a Romeo and Juliet meets Bonnie and Clyde, or Dumb and Dumber in my opinion. But for Sheila, it was every parent's nightmare. Heather was already a very troubled girl, and this relationship felt like gasoline on fire. Sheila's emails to her friends paint a picture of a woman at her wit's end, unable to control her troubled daughter. Like this one from April 9th, 2014. Heather ran away again tonight. She will not answer the phone. She will not answer emails. And she told me that she would kill me and then kill herself. I feel so desperate. Heather would disappear for days on end. And at one point, Heather dropped out of college, moved out, and was living in a hotel. Sheila eventually tracked her down and could barely recognize her. Heather wanted to get away from her mother, but she didn't want to run away or move out. She wanted her mother gone permanently, and she thought if she could do that, she could gain access to the $11 million estate. Then she and Tommy would be set financially, and they could finally be free to be together. And side note, Heather believed that the estate was worth $11 million, but it was actually worth more around $1.65 million. So at just 19 years old, Heather began plotting to kill her own mother. But Heather needed to figure out how she was going to do it. Sometime in early February of 2014, she offered Tommy $50,000 to kill Sheila or to find someone to do it, but he said no. So she reached out to Tommy's cousin, Robert Ryan Justin Bibbs. In late July of 2014, Heather herself told Robert that she was Sheila was dead. She even asked if he knew someone who she could pay to kill Sheila, and he offered him $50,000 to do it, but Robert also said no. But Robert did know about the diabolical plan. Heather was going to kill Sheila in Bali, and Tommy would join Heather in Bali. Now Robert was going to coach the two on committing the murder. Tommy promised him a cut of the $11 million when the murder was done. On July 21st, 2014, Tommy posted an eerie message on Facebook that said, leaving August 4th for... So by now, plans were already in motion to murder Sheila. Tommy said that Heather had talked about killing her mom all the time to multiple different people. But whether anyone knew it or not this time, she was very serious about it. On Wednesday, July 23rd, 2014, Sheila called the police and reported that her credit card was being used without her permission at the Conrad Hotel in downtown Chicago. Police went to the hotel and found Heather and Tommy there. They'd used Sheila's credit card to book a room where they threw a party and racked up $1,000 in charges. Tommy was acting drunk and unruly when the police responded, so they arrested him for misdemeanor disorderly conduct. It was one last hurrah before the Bali trip. Sheila thought this trip would be a way for her and Heather to reconnect and have a fresh start in their relationship. And Heather seemed really excited for the trip, but little did Sheila know that's because her daughter was very excited for very, very different reasons. Sheila had been warned by friends not to go on the trip. They believed that Heather was dangerous and spoiled, and Sheila should just cut her off and kick her out. But Sheila still desperately wanted to help her daughter. She even made Heather the sole beneficiary of her estate just a few months before the trip. On August 2nd, 2014, Heather and Sheila arrived at O'Hare Airport. They had first-class tickets to Bali. Heather had been texting with Tommy while she and Sheila were in the airport lounge waiting to board their flight. He told her, I can't wait to be rich. I'm thinking of lavish lifestyles. It's crazy AF, like money, nothing rules the world. They first checked into the W Resort in Seminyak on August 4th. Heather texted Tommy when they arrived in Bali, keep your head up. Trip's going as planned, baby. 
dot, 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 faith. Tommy responded that he had, quote, a lot of faith in her, but she didn't know a lot of things aren't in her control. But Heather was confident that that wasn't the case. She responded with a series of very chilling texts. I also know what's in my control. I know what makes people tick. The witch. I know what makes her tick. I'm with her so much. I know her habit, how she acts, what she does at certain times. It's like breaking out of jail. It takes several years of watching. I have been watching her routine, and I know what I do control. I'm sneaky. I'm smart. And I watch. Trust Bonnie. Don't make everyone else mistake and underestimate me. Tommy replied and said, I like the confidence, G. Once you think like you're a mastermind, you start understanding that you can control a lot more than you thought. There are more texts where Heather and Tommy call themselves Bonnie and Clyde. Clearly, they thought they were way smarter than they were and that they would actually get away with this. It's wild to me that they think they're the, these like mastermind mm-hmm. criminals and yet they're doing all this over text. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're that's... leaving a giant digital trail that's what's, for investigators I think one of the most shocking things about this case, and of course, we see this all the time in cases where people literally text throughout the whole thing, text their plans, like they're going to just delete it all, which these two didn't even do, but unbelievable. And they're so like in the romance of Bonnie and Clyde. They're like in these characters. And it's like a weird. game. Mm-hmm. It's like a big game to them. On the 5th, Sheila emailed a friend saying, I am afraid of her and fear that I should not have come here at all, hoping that I have not made a big mistake here in Bali for nine more days. On August 7th, 2014, Heather posted on Instagram from the hotel and the post was captioned, I refuse to let someone say what I can do. Getting money, my attitude, you know what it do. Hashtag Bali. On the 9th, they checked into the St. Regis Hotel in Nusa Dua about 13 miles south of Denpasar, which is Bali's capital city. Earlier that day, Sheila wrote an email to a close friend. I've been waiting for the car to pick us up at the W Resort to take us to the St. Regis Resort. Heather ran off a few hours ago and she cannot be located. Upon checkout, I discovered that she visited the clinic here and fraudulently signed my name and room number for prescription painkillers four days ago. She secured quite a supply, it seems. I am more frightened than ever. I will keep in touch. And at first, when I read this, I thought Heather was trying to get these for herself. But then I realized that they were actually probably planning to overdose Sheila with the painkillers. Don't you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. there's really no reason for them to need the painkillers. I mean, it's all part of their master plan, right? They're trying yep. to figure out how they're going to pull off this murder. Mm-hmm. They know they're going to kill her on this Bali trip, but they're trying to yeah. finalize what the method yeah. for the murder is going to be. They haven't thought this through very well. and. It's really eerie when you think about how she was emailing her friends, knowing that they had the painkillers, knowing that Heather had them. And little did she know they may have been used to kill her. Yeah, it almost seems like she's having like a premonition of like what's to come mm-hmm. in a way. Like she mm-hmm. just knows a storm is brewing does and seem there's like something that. weird going I mean, on. Maybe I mean, maybe not to quite, the extent yeah. of mm-hmm. her death, but she knows that just something is really off here. Well, with their history too, she knows that she could end she up. She could be doing anything. Or, yeah. yeah. Later that day, Heather actually stole her mother's credit card and bought Tommy a twelve thousand two hundred dollar first class ticket to Bali. Ooh, Whew. that is so expensive for a damn plane ticket. That very next day, he boarded that flight, and Heather and her mom continued to fight. On August twelfth, just after midnight, Tommy arrived in Bali. 
Around 3.30 a.m. on the 12th, Sheila arrived in the hotel lobby. She was clearly frantic and panicking, telling the staff that her daughter was missing. So the staff immediately began preparing to search the hotel grounds for her. That would be so scary and so different than her, you know, running. Obviously, she's used to her running away at home, but in another country, that would freak yeah, me Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some more fears there. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that part of the world, human trafficking, sex trafficking is a big thing. Mm-hmm. So there's always that fear or just, you know, well, maybe just, getting kidnapped for ransom or something like yeah. that is also a possibility. But just your child being missing in a foreign country totally. anywhere yeah. would be scary to me. Absolutely. But just as they were about to start searching... Guess who waltzes into the lobby? Heather. And she's with none other than her boyfriend, Tommy Schaefer. <laughs> she has some nerve, man. Obviously, Sheila is shocked and very pissed off. So the three of them start to loudly argue in the middle of the hotel lobby. That's when Sheila found out that Heather had used her credit card to book a second hotel room for Tommy. So the argument escalates even more. Obviously, Sheila was not happy that Tommy had shown up. And not only had her daughter gone behind her back and invited him, she flew him out using her credit card. So part of the argument was who would be footing the bill for the very pricey trip. And Sheila had said something like, I paid for his flight. You two can pay for his hotel room. She did not want to pay for that room. In fact, as they were walking back up to their room, an employee heard Sheila tell Heather that she'd be pursuing credit card fraud charges when they got home. So at 3.45 a.m. that night, Sheila was last seen on hotel surveillance camera walking out of the hotel lobby. She and Heather returned to their room and Tommy went to his. Heather texted Tommy that they should wait until Sheila fell asleep before they killed her. They discussed suffocating her or hitting her to knock her out. Heather at one point said, literally can't wait. That is the weirdest thing to say. Literally can't wait. Psycho. About killing your own mother Mother. who birthed you. Yeah. Oh my God. Evil. Seriously evil. Around 6 a.m., Sheila called down to the lobby and asked them to give her a courtesy wake-up call at 10 a.m., and this is the last time she was heard from by anyone other than Tommy and Heather. Meanwhile, Tommy was texting Robert back at home. He said that Heather had tried to kill Sheila by giving her an overdose, but it didn't work. So Robert started giving Tommy advice on different ways to kill Sheila. Later, Robert had said in court that he never thought Tommy would actually go through with it, just Heather, which really doesn't make any fucking sense. So some of the advice that he gave them included drowning her in the ocean, staging a suicide, and suffocating her with a pillow. He also told Tommy to be careful and kill Sheila out of view of any cameras. Tommy texted Robert and said, this is for you and the fam. One time, here I go. Pray for me, cuz. And Robert responded and said, done. It's go time. At 8.20 a.m., Heather texted Tommy, there's no better time to say hi, is there? Now, Tommy and Heather used saying hi as code for the moment of the attack. Then for the next 37 minutes, the two of them texted back and forth as they set their plan in motion. The original plan was to have Heather kill Sheila and Tommy would wait outside their room in case she needed help. But that plan changed, so the two of them talked about suffocating her. Tommy texted, All you have to do is get her weak. I'll be standing by the door. Relax. You're Bonnie. Do it. Heather said she would try, and Tommy asked if she could whack Sheila in the head with a, quote, big-ass pole. Heather asked Tommy to do it and if it would knock her out, and he said yes to both. 
Tommy sent Heather a photo of a metal fruit stand grip. This is what they intended to kill Sheila with. Then he made his way to room 317 with the object hidden under his shirt. He quietly entered the room. Either Heather let him in or he had access to a key card to get in. As Tommy hid in the bathroom, Heather continued to text in the room with Sheila. She asked Tommy to suffocate her. Tommy said he had to hit her, but Heather replied, Can't we suffocate her together? Put your hand over her mouth. Heather asked if the fruit stand would be enough to kill her mother, then went to the bathroom herself to see if the murder weapon was enough to actually kill her. She decided it was sufficient. The last text was sent at 8.57 a.m. Tommy said, Let me just creep up and whack her. She was drunk, slipped, and fell. Heather replied, Okay, just knock her out. It'll be so much easier. These then were the last few moments of Sheila Von Wiesmack's life. Tommy walked in the room and struck Sheila, ambushing her. Heather covered her own mother's mouth as Tommy delivered more blows. He hit Sheila in the face and head again and again until he had bludgeoned her to death. Can you imagine the thoughts going through Sheila's mind as her daughter is holding her down, holding her mouth, and Tommy's killing her? I mean... It's horrific. Oh my God. Absolutely horrific way to die. Yeah. Looking up at the child you birthed. Oh my God. I really cannot imagine. Your last images alive are your your own child and her deranged boyfriend killing you. Now that Sheila was dead, they had to figure out what they were going to do with her body. According to Heather, Tommy wanted to leave Sheila's body in the room, but she didn't want to. So they decided to wrap Sheila's body in tape and stuff her into a suitcase. The way that they handled Sheila's body is just absolutely horrific. The suitcase was so small that they could barely fit her in there and close it. So Heather actually had to sit on top of the suitcase containing her own mother's murdered remains so Tommy could zip it up. That is the sickest thing I've ever heard. Security footage showed Heather moving a suitcase between her and Tommy's room starting at 9.51 a.m. Then she went to the lobby and asked staff for duct tape and a luggage cart. At 10.02 a.m., Tommy texted Robert, Lord, forgive me, sweet Jesus, our father. Robert replied, holy shit, what's good? And this is where the texts get truly demented. Tommy replies, had to, blood everywhere. I'm Gucci, but for some reason I don't feel bad. I'm Gucci? Ugh, sickening. Robert replied, she wasn't a good person. There wasn't any positive energy released from her body. So reinforcing everything that they're doing, giving them the moral support they need. Then incredibly, the two traded lighthearted texts about men's basketball. At one point, Tommy said, gee, why don't I feel bad? I don't cuz at all. And then for the next 10 minutes, they just continued to talk about basketball as if Tommy didn't just say he killed someone and doesn't feel bad about it. At around 10.30 a.m., the front desk called up to 3.17. It was that wake-up call that Sheila had requested only hours earlier. Heather picked up the phone and declined coffee or tea. Then the cleanup began. Surveillance footage shows the two of them bringing linens and other items between the two rooms via the staircase. Then around noon, they made their way to the hotel lobby with the suitcases. Surveillance footage showed a silver suitcase wrapped in a bed sheet held together with duct tape. Tommy walked beside the luggage trolley through the lobby and out the doors. A staff member asked about the red stain on the tape, and Heather quickly told her it was makeup. Imagine being the hotel staff. Yeah. This is a 
absolutely weird sight to see. Mm-hmm. A bed sheet wrapped around a mm-hmm. suitcase with duct tape. Yeah. And there's clearly blood on it. Yeah. Red flag immediately. Mm-hmm. How stupid are these two? They're the dumbest. I'm like, God. It's all on camera. It's mm-hmm. all it's all recorded. And they're texting about it. They're giving a play-by-play to a dude back at home. Seriously. And oh. to each other. Yeah, and they thought that there was... There were no cameras in the in the hotel, like yeah. anywhere around the hotel. He texts mm-hmm. his cousin, "Oh, like no problem, no cameras. They're not going to know." And it's like this is a five star luxury yeah. hotel. Like, yeah. You bet your ass they're going to have cameras everywhere. Like, Stupid what were you thinking? Fuck, man. Yeah, if you were going to do it, why would you do it at a luxury resort? I I kind of feel like they thought that since they were out of the country in some weird way, it gave them this illusion that they'd be able to get away with it. Like, rules aren't the same. This is the perfect opportunity, which obviously makes no sense, but I'm kind of thinking that's how they were seeing things. Mm -hmm. I kind of think, too, with the cameras, like, they were so just, like, not thinking that just because they couldn't see them really easily that they weren't there. Yeah. Like, oh, just, I mean... Which they may have been fairly easy to see. Who knows? I mean, I would imagine at a luxury resort, they're probably smaller than typical pretty, security pretty, cameras so they're probably they might even be concealed for all they know so mm-hmm. it's possible that they didn't see them or they're naked you know you can't see them with the naked eye but seriously they're how really dumb small things that they aren't there yeah exactly i mean these two i think you're right though i think they thought because they're in bali mm-hmm. you know it's indonesia that what are yeah. the chances they're gonna have all this high-tech security and people, i think that's what they were kind of thinking or you know stupid stupid anyway He then loaded the sheet-covered suitcases into the trunk of a taxi. Staff offered to help them load the luggage, but Heather and Tommy, of course, told them not to. He told the taxi driver that he was going to check out of the hotel and come back. He and Heather approached the front desk and tried to do two things. First, they asked for the contents of the safe inside Sheila's room, which contained her jewelry and her and Heather's passports, and the staff told them no, of course. They also told the staff that Sheila would pay for the whole bill when she checked out that Thursday, so two days later at this point. And again, staff said they would not allow that. This is where Tommy and Heather started to freak shit. So they told the staff that they needed to go grab something from their room, and then they ran out the back exit, scaled a wall, and hailed another taxi. Obviously, the hotel staff and taxi driver were very suspicious, and when the couple didn't return, the driver went to inspect the suitcase and there was blood smeared on the outside of it and leaking out of it. Oh my God. It's disgusting. So fucking sad thinking she's in there. It's so small. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's baffling to think that they were even able to get her in there. Mm -hmm. So at that point, he drove to the police station so they could inspect it. Balinese police opened the suitcase and found a very grisly sight. Sheila's half-naked body was stuffed inside. The suitcase itself was so small that it couldn't be fully closed. Sheila was stuffed in such a way that her legs were unnaturally bent behind her head. Her face was bloodied and black and blue. An autopsy in Indonesia found that Sheila had been hit repeatedly in her head and face with a blunt object. Sheila had defensive wounds, including a broken hand, meaning in those final moments she was fighting for her life. Her neck was broken as well and Indonesian authorities concluded she died of asphyxiation. A second autopsy confirmed Sheila died of blunt force trauma to the head and face that caused asphyxiation. Police examined the room and found remnants of that fruit stand. Tommy's fingerprints were found on these remnants, and they also found bloody clothing, linens, and pillows, including bags of linens and clothes the two had thrown out in the hotel gardens. 
One of those items was a blood-soaked white Victoria's Secret shirt printed with the word angel on the front. Heather later testified that her shirt got bloody when she gave a lifeless Sheila one last hug. That's so sick. Do you think she actually did that? Me, uh, Probably not. I feel like she just said that. Yeah, I feel like that's, I mean, she says a lot of things to try to make herself look better. Yeah. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Heather and Tommy made their way to the airport. They asked about getting replacement passports, but they were told they needed to go to the embassy first. From there, they checked into the Risada, Bali Resort, and Spa in Kuta, which is right near the airport. Heather and Tommy have been calling themselves criminal masterminds, and yet Heather decided it would be a good idea to check into that hotel using her mother's credit card. They even gave the staff their real full names. Dude, these two are the stupidest people I think I've ever seen. Meanwhile, police had named Heather and Tommy as suspects in Sheila's murder. So a manhunt was now underway. And of course, when hotel security saw the names of the suspects, they recognized them immediately. It was the two geniuses who checked in under the exact names that the police were looking for. And of course, the security immediately called the police. The cops arrived at the hotel at 8 a.m. the next morning and found Heather and Tommy asleep in bed. And of course, they were immediately arrested. They told police that they'd been held captive by an armed gang. And the gang killed Sheila. But they were able to escape, of course. And the cops immediately knew this was complete bullshit. So the two were held at South Kuta Police Station in Nusa Dua, where they were refusing to talk to police any further. They wanted an American attorney present before they'd start talking. At first, Indonesian authorities thought Heather was claiming to be pregnant, so they'd send her back to Chicago. But a pregnancy test confirmed that Heather was in fact, pregnant. The two of them were held in Indonesia as the investigation continued. The police found one of Tommy's jackets, which had blood spots on it. Testing showed that this was Sheila's blood. The police also found bits of metal in Sheila's wounds that matched that metal fruit stand. And in the hours surrounding her death, surveillance showed that nobody but Tommy and Heather went in or out of the room. On September 19th, Indonesian authorities announced that the two had separately confessed. Tommy admitted to killing Sheila, and Heather admitted to helping him put the body in the suitcase. But later, Heather said that they were both innocent. Here's what she had to say. Heather, what do you think the, the verdict should be uh, less than 18 years or 15 years? It's not the verdict today, is it? Yeah, but what, what, what sentence say you? Oh, okay. Less, I'm innocent. Look at that smirk. She's so dumb. Just she's pure, fucking evil. Just is what pure she is. evil, man. No remorse at all. Mm-mm, Almost no all. emotion either. Mm-mm. Something's wrong with her. So the trial began on January 14th, 2015. Both Tommy and Heather were facing death by firing squad if they were found guilty of murder. Now, Heather and Tommy have both concocted multiple stories as to what happened just before Sheila was killed. We're going to go through each one of these stories because they've been heavily reported on. But keep in mind, these two are obviously highly unreliable narrators, and their texts pretty much prove their stories are bullshit. During the trial, Tommy admitted that he killed Sheila, but he claimed that the murder was self-defense. The original story Heather and Tommy told was that he came on the trip to tell Sheila that Heather was pregnant. Once Tommy got to the hotel, they talked about ways to tell her. They agreed to meet in Heather and Sheila's hotel room. Heather told Tommy to bring a heavy object, 
Tommy told the judge he hid the bowl under his shirt as a precaution. And when the judge asked why he hid it, Tommy said he wasn't sure whether or not he'd use it to protect himself. That's highly believable. When Tommy entered the room, he saw Heather sobbing and Sheila was screaming. Sheila was very angry that Tommy got Heather pregnant. According to Tommy, Sheila called him a racial slur and described Heather as a prostitute who liked a black man. Then Tommy said Sheila asked Heather for an abortion or to kill the unborn baby. Heather testified that Sheila began looking for a knife in the room, so she panicked and hid in the bathroom for about three minutes. Tommy said he and Sheila started to argue and Sheila tried to strangle Tommy for about 30 seconds. Through tears, Tommy told the judge he got angry and he grabbed that fruit bowl and hit Sheila. He didn't remember how many times he hit her. Once Tommy realized she wasn't breathing, he tried to give her CPR. Heather came out and tried to do the same, but it didn't work. Tommy was scared and he called 911 on his phone until he realized he wasn't in the U.S., then the two decided to put Sheila's body in a suitcase, which they left in the taxi and ran. This is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. She's like, oh, well, we couldn't call 911 because we weren't in the U.S. So instead of going to figure out how to call emergency services in Bali, mm, probably just, just put up. her in a suitcase. Yeah. yeah. Something else we can do. It's like, why even say that? Yeah. Right. You sound so stupid. That's a yeah, that's a clear logical leap you can make. 911 right. doesn't mm-hmm. work. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to. Yeah. So not we need to take care how. of this in another way. Put her in a suitcase. I'm sure they'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes more sense now. Mm -hmm. I feel like in a lot of resorts, too, at least some of the ones that we've been to, they usually put like the emergency number like on the phone or somewhere in the room. Like it's always visible. Like if it's different than 911, it's like 811 or some other number. That that didn't happen. They literally thought of this on the spot. No, they're just again, they think. They're Bonnie and Clyde criminal masterminds that are like going to outsmart the judge and like manipulate their way out of the situation. Yeah. No, as Kendall said, dumb and dumber. Yes. Yes. Dumb and dumber. But the court saw emails that quickly disproved a key part of the story. Sheila actually knew that Heather was pregnant before the trip. Heather later admitted this was true and her mother convinced her to have an abortion once they were back in Chicago. During the civil legal case over the estate money, Heather's lawyer said that Sheila had forced Heather to get two prior abortions. He also said Sheila was trying to get Heather to give her power of attorney so she could force her to get the third. A friend explained Sheila wanted power of attorney not to enforce an abortion, but because her physical and mental health was clearly declining. And the being forced into two abortions thing also sounds highly bullshit, especially given Illinois laws. So later on, Heather gave a different version of events, one of many different stories that she has told. And in this version of events, Heather admitted that yes, While they did plan the murder, it, quote, wasn't like that when it actually happened. In her version of events, it was still somehow a heat of the moment type thing that was spurred by Sheila's actions. She said that there were plenty of sharp knives in the room, so it wasn't an impulse thing or else they would have just used one of those. Heather said that Sheila brought up the subject of abortion again when they were in the hotel room. And at this point, Heather had changed her mind, which started a huge fight. That's when Tommy in and here's the version of events in heather's words they were both drunk they'd each drunk a bottle of champagne my mother used the n-word and tommy was saying but your husband was black and she said it didn't matter because he was rich keep in mind this is all according to her she kept saying to tommy can you spell asset no because you don't have any what right do you have to fuck my daughter she said i was black enough and that if I had a baby with Tommy, it would be even blacker. That's what upset my mother so much about Tommy. 
it was his color. So Tommy snapped, grabbed the fruit bowl, and hit her. By then, Heather and Tommy knew it was too late, so they had to kill her or else he'd be in deep trouble. Heather claimed that she only covered Sheila's mouth because if she had survived, she would have only blamed Tommy for the attack. She said she was already in so much trouble, she just, quote, wanted the trouble to stop. But where's the texts, logic? Where's the, oh, so then all those texts is just like made up? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, like, she's, she's saying like, oh, uh, you know, we, we did plan it. And I, I came into the room planning on killing her, but then they were fighting and uh, I killed her because yeah. I was pissed about that. Yeah. Not the right. plan that we've events. been doing for months. Like, mm-hmm. right. Makes sense. Yeah, sure. And what, like a sick smear campaign against this woman that they yeah, killed seriously. Like, mm-hmm. for money. I mean, it's just so sick. Yeah, they try and turn her into a racist. Yeah. Horrible. Halfway through the trial, Heather gave birth to a baby girl named Estella Schaefer, or Stella for short. She's named after Tommy's great-grandmother. Instead of opting to give the baby a normal life, Heather decided to raise Stella in prison. Tommy and Heather were found guilty on April 21st, 2015. Tommy was sentenced to 18 years for killing Sheila, and Heather was sentenced to 10 years for helping him. The court explained that they gave Heather a more lenient sentence because she'd given birth in jail. And yes, Heather was fully taken advantage of the privileges her child's birth has given her access to, which is why a lot of people believe she kept Stella in there. For the first two years of her life, Stella was raised in prison with Heather. Heather said the Indonesians taught her how to be a great mother, and Stella was a happy child because of them. But Heather and Tommy were incarcerated at Lapas Karabukan Prison, also nicknamed Hotel K. It is filled with both Indonesians and expats, the majority of whom are imprisoned on drug charges, as Indonesia has a very strict penalties for drug offenses. She said her prison was the best in the world. Stella went to live with one of Heather's friends in Bali after two years, but Heather still got to hold her when they visited. The foster mom, Oshar Suratama, is an Australian woman married to a Balinese man. Heather befriended her during the trial while Oshar was working as a translator for Karabukan visitors. Heather said the Indonesian prisons were truly about rehabilitation, but American prisons were for punishment only. In fact, she even said, yes, I'm locked up, but I'm happy. My life is better now than it ever was before. I'm far happier than I was living with my mother in Chicago. Here's Heather enjoying a day out on the prison yard. And here's what one of Sheila's friends has to say about it. Not exactly hard time, is it? That's mom killer Heather Mack having fun dancing while she's in prison on the island paradise of Bali. (laughs) Heather is wearing makeup and looks happy-go-lucky as she playfully sticks her tongue out. And here's the 20-year-old Chicago-raised heiress in trendy shades, a big smile on her face. It's just really painful and frankly sordid to watch this. The hellhole looked like a country club, and it looked like a party. I think she's dancing on her mother's grave. In prison, Heather had access to a phone, which she used to keep her social media accounts updated. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that prisoners here in the U.S. post a TikTok, so... That's true. But, it, but it's like it's not, not allowed. allowed. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, it's a, a little different. That included her Instagram account, which had a lot of eyebrow-raising posts. These screenshots were published in August of 2015, and as soon as they went up, Heather took down the photos. So looking at some of the photos, she's posing with, I guess, friends in prison. And p- the comments are also interesting to look at, too. People are commenting, oh, oh she said, Bali's worst at it again. That's the caption. In the photo. Insane. 
I, I, I think what that man just said is right. She's dancing on her mother's grave. Totally. Dude, look at the one roommate with the um guy behind bars. She mm-hmm. says, word on the street, I'm a suspect. Unbelievable. She doesn't And then give she a says, fuck. I enjoy making everyone mad. I'm with him now. He says, you should hit him up. Let him know. She's... Oh, and then the one of the... Someone on Facebook posted a screenshot of her Instagram account. She said, this bitch having a ball, I swear, how are you supposed to be locked up in prison, but you still on vacation? She reposted it, and the caption was, you mad? Like, you killed your mother. What the... Like, it's so... It's so insane. She commented back at someone, I made a horrible, awful mistake, but I believe in second chances. I'm a different person with my daughter, and I believe that's worth something. But thank you. I appreciate that. I'm a different person, and this is why I'm posting a picture with me and Tommy saying, word on the street, I'm a suspect. Like, it's a Yeah, that's Tommy, right? Oh, yeah, that is Tommy. Yeah. Jesus, dude, that's fucking crazy. It's crazy. That seriously is. (sighs) You know, do you think they could have decided to kill her in Bali because they knew if they were caught? I don't think they're that smart. I don't, I don't think, think they so would either. have looked into it ahead of time. Because also mm-hmm. there is the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Right, right. By right, firing right. squad. Yeah. Shit. So it's pretty yeah. bad over there. No, I think it was because they thought they'd somehow get away with it if they did it there. But yeah, interesting. So not only did Heather have a phone, but she could smoke, drink, and eat whatever she wanted. She also allegedly paid guards to let her take day trips outside the prison. For Mother's Day one year, Heather and Stella ate out at a restaurant. And Heather even sent friends photos of the outing. It's really not even like prison. It's like a no. prison camp. You know what I mean? Like it's almost, almost like a like summer a halfway camp. Halfway house well, type situation. It seems like it depends it's on better, how much maybe. Well, money dep- you have. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. Because she true. could afford to pay the guards for stuff like beds, food, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. day trips. You can get yeah, drugs in there. Yeah. It's so if you don't have that money, which she did, she was getting it kind of funneled through her trust through the lawyers. Like she was able to afford those things, but for other people, not so much. That's crazy. And Heather was somewhat of a celebrity inside the prison. She had the funds to pay for luxuries that other prisoners could not, and she became quite popular. There are reports that her wild partying continued, and she was even hooking up with multiple other inmates, sometimes at once. According to Tommy, Heather had, quote, gained weight, is all laughs, drinks, and does drugs in prison. She does all of this while having sex with women while my daughter is next to her. So as you can see, the two of them aren't on great terms anymore. They used to be in good terms and they would hang out in prison, but that all changed. Their lives in lockup began to look very, very different and they broke up because of it. Around this time, Heather was in a legal battle trying to access her $1.5 million trust fund. After all this, murdering her own mother, Heather still believed that she was entitled to all the money she had. At the time, she was the beneficiary of Sheila's estate, but the Illinois Slayer statute would prevent a payout. And in the end, Heather gave up her claim to the estate. Baby Stella will be the beneficiary of the entire estate. Heather had already used hundreds of thousands of dollars of that money to pay off legal fees, so half that money is actually gone now. So Tommy's cousin, Robert, the one that uh, Tommy was texting with, was charged with one count of conspiracy to commit the foreign murder of a U.S. national. He pled guilty on December 13th, 2016, and on June 2nd, 2017, he was sentenced to nine years in prison with two years supervised release. On February 2nd, 2017, Heather posted a series of three confession videos to her YouTube channel. 
And in these videos, she said that Tommy had nothing to do with the murder itself, and she trapped him into taking the fall for her. Here are some clips of those confession videos. I'm Heather Mack. I don't want to live in a lie anymore. When I was 10, my mother killed my father in a hotel in Athens, Greece, two weeks before I came to Bali. I found out that she killed my father. And I made it up in my heart, in my mind, my soul, in my blood, in the oxygen running through my body that I wanted to kill my mother. I got this whole new savage idea in my head that I wanted to kill her in a hotel room because she had killed my father in a hotel room. We were going to Bali, so I began to plot. I began turning off Tommy's phone, taking Tommy's phone when he was asleep, starting in Chicago, taking Tommy's phone and having conversations between Tommy and myself, texting myself, having fake conversations, and then deleting them before he could see them. So I came to Bali, and I told Tommy that he was going to come here for a vacation. I trapped him here. And that is what I regret. I don't regret killing my mother. And as evil as that may sound, that's my reality. If somebody killed Stella, I wouldn't regret killing them either. But I regret bringing Tommy into it. I regret being selfish. I regret trapping an innocent person into this because it was my battle. It's my mother. It was my father. I killed her myself. And then I told Tommy that if he did not help me clean the room and get rid of the body, that I would tell the police that he did it. In the court, the same thing happened. So we told Tommy together, my lawyers and I, that if he didn't take the blame in the court, that he would get the death penalty. So he lied in the court because of me. And the only thing Tommy is not innocent of is hiding the body. And the only reason he did that is because of me. And I'm sorry, Tommy Schaefer. I'm sorry. I love you. I really love you. And if I could go back, I would do it myself. Not a single actual tear shed. No, no. I don't believe a word she's saying no. there. I mean, is it it's plausible? Could it? Could she be telling the truth? Well, there's a sure way to find out if she was actually taking his phone and stuff. I want to hear Tommy's side of the story here. Mm -hmm. I wish there was a confession on video of him. A response. I would like to know. Well, she says also that uh, she found out that her mother, quote unquote, killed her father two weeks before yeah, Bali. Yeah, let's but talk about that. There's like testimony from multiple people. It, Tommy says it himself. Like she was telling everyone for months that she wanted to kill her mom. So, mm -hmm. okay, fine. If we, we know those things to be true, there's texts that show this was being talked about as far back as February of that year. So you were already planning on killing your mom for not that reason. And then you found out that she quote unquote killed him, which, you know, didn't happen. Yeah. Like that doesn't, that doesn't add up. That makes you look kind of just a lot worse now. So yeah, it's not plausible. And you know, the, the evidence from the phone shows that, yeah. you know, no. no. Two different places and, yeah. Stupid. She just concocted that while she was sitting in prison. I think it, I think this is just how she saves face with Tommy mm -hmm. at the end of the day. She doesn't mm -hmm. want, she wants to try to 
bring the blame back onto herself. She put it on him. Now she's bringing it back to herself to hopefully try to help him mm-hmm. as he goes forward. I think that's part of it. But I think also she is really leaning into this Bonnie character that she is this. I mean, she's posting pictures of herself saying I'm the suspect, this and that. You know, I think she's trying to look as bad as she can because she's fully riding with that. I'm this badass criminal chick. You know, she wants more of the the blame because it makes her look tougher. That's Could just kind of my opinion. Yeah. I don't know. That's Could what be. I see from her. I think she's just a really hateful person who's yeah. probably mentally ill. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I mean, it seems like her childhood has definitely shaped who she is in a lot of ways. Mm. And I don't know. I mean, she's, to me, kind of borderlining like, psychopath just from the things that she's saying the no you know there's no emotion there's yeah no remorse I mean, the way whatsoever. she talks is just she, it's just very deranged the way she words everything so heather said that the murder happened because her mom was a racist that she tried to kill her father but she also said that her mother didn't deserve to die she said that she didn't kill her mom for money because quote the only thing my mother ever did for me was give me money if i wanted her money I didn't need to kill her. In the confession videos, Heather claimed that Tommy was basically trapped into committing the murder, but she's since said that none of that was true. He was blackmailing her into saying those things so he could get a reduced sentence. Tommy, on the other hand, has since found God in prison, and he's accepting of his sentence. He attends mass in prison every week, and he helped the jail build a chapel. He's also baptized over 50 inmates. In 2016, Tommy wrote a long, rambling letter to the outside world. Heather had told YouTube that she loved Tommy, but he didn't feel the same anymore at all. In the letter, he called Heather that evil girl, a gremlin, a black hole of dark energy, and a sociopath who manipulates everything. He also accused her of trying to milk her own mother's murder for profit, and he was shocked she was having such a good time in prison. As for Stella, he believes she is in great danger if she's under Heather's care. That's because he believes Heather can kill again, including killing by neglect. Tommy claims that Heather had emotionally manipulated him after his girlfriend died in a car accident on April 17, 2014. He said that he and Heather were friends by the time she passed, and their relationship started two months after. He says he was looking for his ex and someone else, but that was impossible to find, so he took comfort in Heather. At the time, he said he was suicidal so he would drag himself down to whatever her level was. It's worth noting that, by all accounts, Heather and Tommy slept together the first night they met, so it seems like he was already cheating on this girl. Tommy fully admits to killing Sheila, but he also says that Heather helped him do it. In fact, he said that everything was Heather's idea, and her motive was different than his. Heather had an objective, but he says that he did it because he emotionally tagged along. Tommy says he was emotionally tricked into killing Sheila. What do you guys think of that? explanation for why he was involved do you buy it what are your thoughts i don't know i mean it's hard to say with anything with these people i could see it being i don't know i it's feel, hard to believe anything either of them say but i feel more like likely to believe him than her yeah i think I, it comes down to whether or not he was actually texting with her or she was in fact the one texting these fake conversations about plotting and everything but it seems like that's not the case seems like they were plotting this together so emotionally tricking someone in 
I don't know that you can use that as an excuse to, you know, no. Like, oh, well, that's why, I, you know, why I killed somebody because she emotionally tricked me. That's just like, I don't, I don't buy that as an, as a valid excuse. No. I mean, there is no excuse for killing someone, but to be like, was she manipulative? Absolutely. I believe it. I mean, you can tell. I mean, I think she might be a sociopath. I think it's possible that she definitely manipulated him in a lot of different ways and he got said benefits from that relationship right he was mm -hmm. benefiting off of it he was he felt like he was going somewhere in life his life was rising he was on the rise he was going to be this rapper they were going to get this money mm -hmm. he was motivated by the money ultimately that she was mm -hmm. in essence promising him yeah but he i mean he knows at his grown ass age better than to kill someone you know it's like but yeah i can see he was probably manipulated but ultimately, it wasn't like she was putting a gun to his head being like, you got to yeah. kill my mom. Yeah, he made that conscious decision right. too. Right, So it's like, I, I don't, that excuse doesn't go very far. As for Sheila as a parent, Tommy does claim that she was an alcoholic. He also said that he would often hear Sheila verbally abusing Heather and slurring her words over the phone. As for the violence, he said it went both ways between the two of them. However, he said there was no doubt Sheila was an abusive mother and he had once seen Sheila grab Heather by the hair and drag her around. But Tommy says he's very remorseful about what happened. He'd give anything to go back and undo it, but he obviously can't. Tommy was eligible for parole in Indonesia in 2022, but he said he wouldn't apply for it anytime soon because he still has a lot of work to do bettering himself and paying his debt to society. That's really interesting. He's also frail right now as he got both tuberculosis and COVID in prison. But when he is released and deported back to the United States, he hopes that the U.S. will give him another chance, but he understands that Sheila's family might not want that, and he'll respect whatever their wishes are. I think that's interesting. Me too. That he's kind of like, maybe because he like found God, I don't know why. Mm -hmm. If but that's legitimate, yeah. It, well, it sounds like it was. He helped build a chapel. Yeah, I yeah. mean, his actions are backing up his claims that he's a change. You know, he's yeah. changed his his character, and you know, he's now living for the Lord. I guess if you believe all that, but I just feel like it's extremely rare to hear someone who murdered someone to be like, "Oh, well, if the family, you know, wants this or that, I will respect that." And mm -hmm. and the fact of he's like, "Oh, I'm not gonna try and get out early because yes. I need to do more time." That's yeah. very rare. Not saying like, "Ooh." What a great person he is by any means. I just yeah. think it's an interesting point. It does seem like he's actually done some, you know, growing Maybe. in prison. Yeah. Yeah. But let me read you this other statement that he made in a recent interview with an Australian journalist named Dave Smith. Because I, I don't know if I necessarily believe yeah. that or not. So he recently did an interview with Tommy and he noted that Tommy has already had four years and two months shaved off his sentence. And in August, he will receive another six month reduction. With effectively 18 months off his sentence annually, Tommy can expect release as early as April of 2026 and possibly earlier. Because in Bali, they're very much about like rehabilitating yeah. people. And so if mm -hmm. you have good behavior in prison, they shave off your sentence and you can potentially, even for murder, you could potentially be released earlier if they feel like you are on the right path. Mm. So Tommy, in this interview, acknowledges part in Sheila's brutal murder but called his federal indictment for conspiracy to murder Sheila vengeful. He faces conspiracy to commit murder when he comes back to the United States, obstruction and a charge alleging they destroyed, mutilated and concealed objects. Tommy characterized his looming U.S. prosecution as a case of David versus Goliath 
and reiterated his allegation that revenge is the primary motive for his prosecution and the prospect of decades more being imprisoned in the United States. Revenge, he told the journalists, that is for the Lord, and his return to the U.S. may well feel like sort of revenge to him. Chicago's Metropolitan Correctional Center, where he will be held awaiting trial, has no large sunny courtyard to wander, and in fact has no direct sunlight. So I think the way I take this is like he feels like he's done his time, he's rehabilitating himself, so he feels that it's unfair that he now has to come back to the United States where he will probably end up being in prison for the rest of his life due to these charges. And he feels that that's unfair. I beg to differ. What do you think about the way that they rehabilitate people over there? Their approach to shaving off years of your sentence if you're showing growth? I think it's a slippery slope because it's not taking into account the fact that people can act a certain way in order to get what they want. And does that mean they're ultimately like, how is, how are you able to determine if they're a changed person? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like people can do all the actions and say all the things, but if it's like, there's no way to tell who that person is deep down inside and what they're capable of. Obviously, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope for a reason because it doesn't mean that people can't change and they can't, you know, we all make mistakes. We all, which you know, granted, a murder forward. is not really a mistake. Right, that's what, that's what I'm but. saying. Is like, you got to think about it from Sheila's family's point of view. Mm-hmm. I think all I think already they don't feel like they've been given proper punishment mm-hmm. while they've been in Bali. So they ultimately want to see them be punished by the American justice system, which will be far, far less enjoyable for both of them. Where they will really have to see if they have what it takes to to make it and to turn their life around in prison. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's hard, and that's the hard thing with it, is it's like, it depends on your view of rehabilitation for criminals and killers specifically. Yeah. And if killers can be rehabilitated and brought back into, yeah. into society, which a lot of countries do believe that that is possible. Canada is one of them. I cover so many cases of heinous, heinous killers in Canada yeah, that yeah. that ultimately get released because mm-hmm. the Canadian like government terrible, has yeah. deemed them rehabilitated. And yet the victims, the thought of having your loved one's murderer out there just living their life free, yeah. imagine that, imagine being in that mm-hmm. position. And that's what I don't like about it is that it doesn't take into... What I think should happen is let the victims decide if that killer should walk free. Let the victims' families decide if they're comfortable with the fact that and believe that this person's changed and can return to society. I think it's a complete, I think it's spitting in their faces when they just send in psychiatrists and stuff and they do their thing and and like, oh yeah, they're good to go. We gave them drugs, we gave them therapy, they're good to go. They're not they're not mm-hmm. doing anything violent in prison. Because you just never know. There's mm-hmm. always the the possibility that somebody can reoffend. I mean, this is a huge discussion to have. We're not going to have time to get into all points of it. And I do see arguments for re- rehabilitation, but I also see what you're saying. And, you know, there have been cases that you've told me about where they have released people thinking they've Who've made these changes. done monstrous things. Way worse horrific, than Horrific. And then they go out and they do it again. Yeah. So it's, it's really a danger to society. 
I don't know. It's also a I think Heather's a danger to society. Decide. I think Heather's a dangerous person. Well, yeah, for sure. I don't think she should. But do I, you think Tommy is? I I think what I would need to see is I would need to see further proof of his his involvement earlier on in the process. And I'd like to validate Heather's claims on the text messages and stuff because it's like it goes back to kids that commit murders. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's mm-hmm. like, do yeah, they deserve a, a second chance? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or is there a reason they did it in the first place? And is that does that really reveal who they truly are deep down inside? Is there is there you know something inside them that can't be re- rehabilitated? I personally believe that there are some people out there that, especially younger people that are capable of actually changing. But how do you really measure that? I don't know if the risk. And oftentimes it's like, oh, I found God and I'm this, I'm this great Christian now. And I, you know, baptize inmates and I'm doing all. And like, it's like, yeah, that's great. It's I'm glad you, you are tapping into your spiritual side, but you look at the statistics and most people tap into their spiritual side when they go into prison for a reason. Because yeah. that's that's how you deal with the hell that you're in, mm-hmm. and that's where you're you're really you have so much time with your th- own thoughts and in contemplating things. Like, of course, people are going to tap into that, and most people do in some way or another. They use spirituality as a way to deal with with the situation that they're in. So that's why I don't I don't equate finding religion to rehabilitating a person to introduce them back to society after they've been a part of a heinous murder, heinous heinous murder. Mm-hmm. And we don't even know the full extent of their of their involvement because we have a sociopath yeah. who's involved, who's lying constantly. You know, yeah. I just think it's it's a very dangerous. I think it would be dangerous to just bring him back to the U.S. and let him go back to his life. Maybe he he he'd be go on to be a, a peaceful person. And and but it's like, how does Sheila's family feel about that? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with what Sheila's family thinks they should do. Yeah, I see what you're because saying because it's, it's their really... loved one that was murdered. It's a really hard line to determine. And I it's a discussion that I've never been able to fully decide my opinion on at the end of the day because it is so tough and I think it's case by case. But how do you really regulate that? You know, there's they can't. They can't regulate mm-hmm. it. And I think it comes down to we can talk about it all day long, but until you're in the position That's very true. Of a of of either a victim of violent crime or a family member that's murdered, I don't think you have any idea how yeah. you would truly feel in that circumstance if I your killer agree. walked free. And I've heard many victims say exactly that, that it took me going through this massive loss and all this pain to understand what, you know, the average person that, yeah. you know, experiences something like this. It's like, you really can't even imagine it until you're in that position yourself so it's hard to to speak on it when you really you can't speak on it and i've heard like i just covered uh the moore's murderers myra henley and in brady and myra she was the accomplice very involved claimed she didn't actually kill any of uh, of the victims but the victim's mother it was her child who was murdered went on an interview and said if, because they were talking about potentially releasing her, Myra. She's like, I will literally kill her myself. Literally sure was like, I will, if they let her out, I will, I will go and kill her myself. And, and it, it just, that, that was a big, 
turning point for me and just hearing that and just wrapping my head around this whole situation is like i think i would feel the same same way i, I, I would, would feel the same way and i would never want anyone who is directly involved with murdering my loved one to ever see the light of day again that they are exactly where they should be whether it's prison yeah or death i get ultimately. that it's a really tough conversation i want to hear uh what all of you out there think do you guys have any thoughts on this yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for all Indonesia talks about with rehabilitation, they are a country with some of the strictest drug laws and penalties mm -hmm. for people with drug related offensive. I mean, they'll drug test you. And if you show up positive, they're throwing your ass in jail for years, decades, potentially your entire life. A lot of times if you are caught with like quantities of drugs that they consider enough to like distribute, which could be anywhere from like yeah. an eight ball of Coke, which people just kind of buy recreationally, like they have literally put people to death by firing squad. That's kind of usually what they do or they stick you in prison for life. But Heather got 10 years yeah. and a reduction in her sentence for helping yeah. her boyfriend kill her mother. And Tommy gets 18 years, which we don't even do that in the state. Premeditated murder, you're going away for life. Like, yeah, they will put people in jail forever. Yeah, for makes no drugs, sense. Where murderers, like, they get the rehabilitation treatment and they get a second chance. But makes the people no that did drugs just don't. Yeah, that's a great point, Julia. That shows a major flaw in the system, if you ask me. I would agree. That people who are, you know, making decisions over, over their own consciousness mm. are jailed as murderers back here in the United States. It makes no sense whatsoever. It should be the other way around. I agree. We have problems like that here, though, too, where, like, you'll get caught with drugs and you'll go to jail far longer than someone who has done some type of crime, maybe not murder, but some assault of some sort um Rape. and yeah it's like oh so they're a danger they're more of a danger to society because they were doing drugs recreationally and having autonomy bodily autonomy but then someone else who committed a crime onto someone and has traumatized them forever gets less of a sentence yeah it makes no fucking sense i agree it depends on, I would say it depends on the state too, depending on where oh, you yeah. are for, for that particular scenario to play out. But it does, it does happen and it has happened over the years for sure. I think across the board though, if you look at the world as a whole, the United States has probably the toughest sentences for killers, well, I would say, for the most part. Mm. Like at, at the magnitude of, the amount of killers the amount that we of, have. Yes, you know what I mean? Probably. For, for the amount of violent offenders that we have, I'd say we probably hand out the most life sentences and yeah. death penalties. Mm -hmm. in, in other countries, you go to like the Middle East, they'll just hang you or stone you or something. You know what I mean? They don't even, they're just like, justice just happens right then and there Yeah, for people like that. And again, there's a lot of miscarriages of justice there as well. So it's, it's, yeah. It goes both ways. It's like I said, it's a huge conversation, but let's get back to our case here. Um, so in Tommy's version of events, Heather and Sheila were already fighting when he came in. He stood there listening to the yelling and Sheila calling Heather names. And he started thinking about justice. He decided killing Sheila could help the situation. So that's when he picked up the bowl and did what he did. Now, this next bit of info comes from Daily Mail. So take it with a grain of salt. But Tommy spent weeks in isolation after trying to attack prisoners with a metal bar 
Stella went into foster care shortly after his isolation ended. A prisoner reported that Stella left. Tommy was stalking around the men's block, saying he was a prophet from God. One inmate said he had been a nice guy before, but he fell in with a bad crowd and became, quote, a religious psycho. But he implied that this was caused by the excess of alcohol and crystal meth floating around the prison. Regardless, Tommy has made statements that show he has at least some remorse, unlike Heather. I mean, whether or not you believe him, but at least he's saying some of this. Heather just is cold-blooded man. Heather was released on October 29th, 2021, after getting a total of 34 months taken off of her sentence. She and Stella were immediately deported back to the U.S. Stella is considered a U.S. citizen under Indonesian law. Many people have pointed out that Heather is basically an admitted murderer who killed her own mother and got a 10-year sentence, but out in just seven. Meanwhile, people arrested on drug charges are often given life imprisonment or death sentences. They arrived in Chicago on November 3rd, 2021, where Heather was promptly arrested on conspiracy to commit a foreign murder and an obstruction charge as well. Then came the custody battle over Stella. Vanessa Favia, one of Heather's attorneys, was Stella's caretaker when she came to the United States, but that only lasted seven months before she relinquished custody. Then Oshar traveled to the U.S. to get custody of Stella, but she wasn't able to stay in the country. So that meant that poor Stella had to make a third move. Through no fault of her own, she's been stripped of a normal childhood, bouncing around different homes in different countries with different caretakers, schools, and friends. A bench trial was held to determine who would get custody. Tommy's mother, Kia Walker, Sheila's niece in Colorado, Lisa Hellman, Oshar Swaratama, and Heather's Beverly Hills friend, Diana Ellis, were all trying to get custody. The bench trial was full of animosity and drama. The judge said, quote, the fact that Stella is doing as well as she is is a credit to Stella dare I say, not to the adults. As it turns out, Oshar had sold the rights to part of her, Oshar's life story, to a media company for $2,800. She actually let them film Stella at her home in Bali as part of the documentary. Stella was just six at the time, and filming happened right before she left for the United States. God, that is sick. Oshar said she tried to take back the deal as it was coerced. She said the producer, Lisa Liu, gave a desperate Oshar a loan in exchange for her signing the contract. Lisa Liu has worked on tabloid TV shows like Hard Copy, A Current Affair with Maury Povich, Judge Joe Brown, Montel, Judge Judy, etc. Eventually, the judge granted Lisa temporary custody of Stella. Heather was permitted to have virtual visits with her daughter with permission from the judge and Stella's therapist. Heather said that if she was granted bail, she would go to California to stay with Stella and Diana. But that wasn't at all what Heather wanted. She wanted access to her trust money all $1.56 million of it. And if she couldn't have it, she requested that Stella be given the money when she turned 18. But Stella still needed a permanent guardian. The judge was concerned that Oshar was trying to exploit Stella, which clearly she was. And she was concerned that Diana was trying to do the same thing by participating in TV or book productions about Sheila's murder. Heather herself had bragged in prison about making a movie with Aunt Diana. Diana was Sheila's best friend and Heather's godmother. She believed that Sheila would have wanted her to care for Stella. And she is wealthy, a Beverly Hills housewife, once rumored to have been a new cast member for Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. This is a quote from Diana in a court filing. Sheila would tell me about her frustrations with Heather's boundless energy and contrarian personality, stated Ellis, who claims she did not always agree with Sheila's parenting style. 
Personally, observing the tumultuous relationship between Sheila and Heather throughout the years has given me keen insight as to what went wrong. Ultimately, Lisa Hellman and her husband were granted guardianship of Stella. Lisa is Sheila's niece, making her Heather's first cousin. Heather was not granted bail. Her trial was set to begin July 31st, 2023, but the trial won't actually happen. That's because on June 16th, Heather took a plea deal and pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to kill a U.S. national. As part of the plea deal, Heather will serve no more than 28 years in a U.S. prison. Her lawyers wanted to get her credit for the seven years that she served in Indonesia. Obviously, Sheila's family would like her to be put behind bars for as long as possible. And as of this recording, we are still waiting to hear what Heather's sentence will be and where she will serve it. Her sentencing date is December 18th, 2023. So coming up later this year. Do you think she deserves more than 28 years? I mean, what will that put her age at? She'll be, so yeah, she'll be, she'll have kind of the tail end of her life outside of jail. She'll be like probably, I think she's like 26 now. So she'll so be like almost, yeah, mid 50s. So that's not the tail end of her life. Yeah, no. that's how kind of how old Sheila was. I mean, probably in her 60s, mid 60s, but. I think she's a danger to society, man. I think she should be in there a lot longer than that. And she definitely shouldn't get credit for the time in Indonesia. Well, she loved that time in Indonesia. She yeah. said she wanted to stay there. She didn't want to get deported back to Chicago. Why would she want she to? She knew. Greatest prison. Looked fun. Yeah. She looked like she was having a ball in there. I think, it, I think it's just difficult for prosecutors because it happened over there. You know what I mean? They're, so they're, they're kind of more limited on what charges they can really bring against her. I think 28 years for the charges that she's she's facing is absolutely a fair punishment. I mean, if they we can do. give her more, give her more. But I think yeah. that's probably the max they can can give her on those charges. Yeah. Well, it's the plea she got. Oh the, yeah, right. It's the, the plea. plea deal. Yep, yeah. exactly. So she got that plea deal. Yeah. I mean 30 years is a long time in US prison. That's not going to be a Definitely not a walk in the Balinese courtyard, that's for sure. That's going to be a tough time. I don't think she's even understands what that's going to be like. Mm, I don't know. I guess in a perfect world, she would get more, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we always want people like her to get more, but... She scares me. Scary to think of her being out, but I don't know. Again, I want to hear all of your thoughts on that one. I think Tommy's going to get probably something similar, if not more. Probably should. I think both of them are going to see 30 years in prison. Yeah, I think so. What do you guys think? About the fairness or? Yeah, do you think what they're going to get? I think it's crazy that this plea deal is giving her no more than 28. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. And that she could potentially get less. Do I think they're going to give her less? Yeah, they Probably said not. no more than 28. I think so That's the highest. Yeah, she's a sociopath. I think that she is a dangerous person the way that she just has no remorse and continues to like disparage her mother's name yeah. she killed her like it's yeah. it's it's scary i i don't know if i would who i think is more of a danger at this point her or tommy like it's, i think her in my opinion i do too because she's she's just so sociopathic it's mm -hmm. it's chilling it's really chilling and i i do believe that she has the potential to to kill someone else like he said because mm -hmm. she's just well she said it herself she, and again she was saying it if someone killed Stella, then she would kill that person. But it just shows where her 
her mindset is. I I, I think she's dealing with serious mental issues too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't even want to begin to unpack what might be going on there, but I think there's a lot more happening below the surface. She's a she's an evil person, man. Through and through. Yeah. I would say so. Poor Sheila. I mean, having I to to deal with the abuse from her daughter and her husband and just also being his caretaker, that's a huge mm-hmm. stress for, you know, for someone. And then to also just, it just came at her from all sides. And that poor woman, does, she just did not deserve to go out that way. So, so horrific. Bad. Any of those last moments is Ugh. just heartbreaking. And then to have your own daughter try to disparage you. Well, she and gave everything Spread to. all these lies about being a racist. And yeah, she was, Sick. she was abusive. And I mean, again, we don't, we don't know was she, could she have been abusive? Yeah, but we don't know any of that for for certain because it's coming from. No, no, but based on what all of her friends have said, everybody that knows the family, based on the police reports, the eighty six police reports. Yeah, there's no. Mm-hmm. It's all Heather. Yep. there. So ultimately, I don't believe any any of that from Heather's point of view. I think Sheila was desperately trying to repair her relationship with her daughter after her husband died mm-hmm. she knew that that was going to be a really tough tough thing to to overcome and just based on how close heather and her dad were i guess and so she was really trying to do this bali trip to reconnect to hopefully give themselves a fresh start meanwhile her yeah. daughter's plotting her murder mm-hmm. it's unreal. unreal just flew her boyfriend out for this trip on her credit card insane really insane no regard for anybody but yeah let us know your thoughts in the comments if you're watching on youtube we want to hear them also you can let us know on our um, instagram account as well if you are listening to audio threads yeah or threads are we on threads threads. yeah malhar podcast is on threads now come check us out on threads let us know your thoughts there (laughs) but that is it for us today we'll catch you guys next time Until then, keep on taking your mind a mile higher.